Welcome to Conversations with Quiet Leaders. My name is Juliet Morris. I believe there is greatness in leading and building teams through powerful listening, what's being said and what's being heard. In this podcast, you'll hear from quiet leaders who are being more bold, more brave and more comfortable with who they are. So I'm delighted to welcome Sam Shepherd. Sam is an introvert and an advocate for introverts. And that's really intriguing because I'm imagining our conversation, Sam, could go quite deep. So I'd love to hear more about that. So, Sam, t- tell us more, please. Thank you, Julia. And thank you, first of all, for inviting me to be on your podcast. So, yes, uh, I do describe myself as an introvert who advocates for introverts. And by that, I mean um, this year I launched my own business Um, with the aim of empowering my fellow introverts to develop authentic confidence. And by that, I mean they can achieve their goals without having to change who they are or without having to pretend to be more extroverted to succeed. And also, and this is my primary focus right now, um, I'm on a mission to change the workplace bias towards extroversion to help achieve intersectional inclusivity and equity. And that actually all stems from um, the, the work that I did on I Am Remarkable, which is where we met. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Oh, that mm-hmm. sounds fascinating. So oh, I can't wait to get started in this conversation. Tell me a little bit about your experience then um, as an introvert. So as an introvert, I have felt that I didn't fit in, in my whole Mm. life, um, both in society in general and in the workplace. So even though I'm not sure that I was consciously aware as a child that I was an introvert, that there was a name for this and there were other people who were like me, um, I was aware that I was in some way different and I felt maybe perhaps I was a little bit weird. (laughs) I didn't Mm -hmm. fit in, maybe felt a bit othered. Um, And that had a significant impact on things like my confidence, my sense of self, my identity. And then as I navigated through life and, and through the workplace, I felt very challenged by a traditional workplace and way of working. Um, And I didn't feel in a lot of the roles that I've had particularly valued or recognized. So it has had a significant impact on me, but I've learned that actually for me, introversion has been my superpower. And it's just really having that understanding of what it meant to be an introvert and why the strengths that I have actually are valuable and why they're not being recognized, but how how I can change that and how I've been able to change that. Are you open to sharing a little bit about how that showed up then in childhood and then as you entered into work? Yes, absolutely. So as a child, I mean, first of all, for context, I'm also an only child of two only children parents. (laughs) So Mm. my, my childhood was quite solitary anyway, just by the nature of the fact that I had a very small family and I was around adults as well. That was an additional facet. But I loved being alone as a child. I really enjoyed my own company. I could entertain myself without any toys, just my mind. (laughs) Um, Mm. But I did really enjoy reading. I would write my own stories and illustrate them um, and just quite happily occupy myself. 
And I much preferred having one close friend rather than a group of friends. I always felt very uncomfortable and overstimulated in groups. My parents would bless them every year, organize a birthday party for me. And every year I would cry. And they thought that I was just overexcited, but actually I was overstimulated and there were just too many people for comfort. I would much prefer to have just had a a, a lower key <laughs> event to celebrate my birthday. Um, and, and yeah, so it was, it was a time where I struggled with those social interactions and things like group work in school. Uh, you know, I, I was very good academically, um, but when I was asked to work in a group, I felt out of my element, I felt uncomfortable. Um, and, and as I mentioned, it did make me very aware that I was in some way different to a lot of my peers. And did you recognise that at the time or was it just, is it something where you just felt weird until you became more self-aware? I think the latter. I think yeah. I, I was, so in combination with being an introvert and an only child, I was also very, very shy and quite socially anxious because those things are often associated with introversion, but they're not necessarily um, introverted traits, right? Um, yes. I, I had everything. <laughs> I had them all. Um, and so it meant that from a very young age, I lacked confidence and self-belief. Um, and it meant that it took me actually quite a significant portion of my life to accept myself and value myself um, and understand that actually I wasn't weird I just mm. think differently to some other people. And as I've mentioned, there are other people who also think like this. It's not just me. And that was very reassuring when I had that realisation, definitely. Mm. And at what point did you have that realisation? Do you know, I've been reflecting upon this and I'm not absolutely sure. I know I was definitely an adult when I had this realisation, but as for pinpointing the moment when I understood the concept of introversion and that um, uh, that, that other people <laughs> were like myself, I don't know. I do know that as I progressed into adulthood and like moved through my university years, I did then meet different types of people and so naturally understood that, that that there were lots of different types of people and you know outside of my hometown actually there were people who thought like me and who struggled with small talk and you know who preferred to be quiet um but I think I might have actually been perhaps even mid-20s or later than that when I discovered introversion I suspect it was something along the lines of one of the Myers-Briggs tests that I was asked mm. to take applying for a job, something of that nature. I'm an INFJ. Um, and uh, I think it might have been through something like that. Because when I came out as an INFJ for the first time, I do remember thinking, okay, so, you know, this explains a lot about the way I think and the way I behave. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was quite late on. Mm. And that realization then would have taken you into work and you worked for some large organizations. So how did you find your feet in that space? Mm. Well, actually I started my career in teaching and then moved through to 
working as a senior lecturer in education as a university and then finally moved into the corporate space. So I've worked in quite a few sectors and the consistent theme in all of them was that I did feel and have felt very challenged in the workplace um, because I felt that the workplace wasn't set up for someone like me, which is when I mentioned the bias towards extroversion at the start, that's really what I'm talking about. So I've had to learn to find my own way because traditional work and workplaces hasn't really aligned. And what I found is regardless of sector, as a quieter individual, even though I've always exceeded my targets or you know what, whatever areas of focus I've had in any role that I've had, I haven't necessarily received in a lot of workplaces, the recognition or the value for that. And often the recognition and the value has gone to my more extroverted, louder colleagues, mm -hmm. um, which has been difficult. So for me, navigating through my career, it's been very much a process of me learning about myself and using that understanding and that learning to tap into what authentically is going to work for me, what do I really want? And how do I make that happen? I particularly like the phrase you used, find your own way. That absolutely resonates with me. How how did you do that? How did you find your own way in what was an extroverted institution, a workplace, an environment? It's 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 been a journey. So one particular memory that stands out is there was a, a period of time where I applied for a management traineeship with a very large bank. Well, it was an insurance um, sector of, of a bank. Um, and through that application, I experienced my first assessment center. I don't know if you've ever experienced an assessment center, Julia. Yes. yes. Yeah, they're, they're quite something. Joyful. <laughs> <laughs> so as you can imagine, you know, some of the exercises there were very uncomfortable for me. I was absolutely fine giving a presentation because if I'm talking about something meaningful, I can present. That's not a problem. I was fine with, you know, more problem solving based activities. But one of the activities um, was to get into teams and navigate an obstacle course on big wooden skis that everybody on the team was standing on, apart from the team leader. And the team leader was the person to give the directions or, you know, um, provide the strategy. And they chose those roles just arbitrarily. And I got team leader. And at that point, I'd never experienced much in the way of leadership other than unofficially. So for example, at university, I inadvertently ended up running uh, a society, but in a work capacity, I'd never had a, a leadership role. Um, and I really felt at that point out of my depth because it felt like the others at the assessment center were all very extroverted. So when we'd had group discussions, they were all dominating the discussions. They seemed so confident and so charismatic. And I really had imposter syndrome in that moment. And just felt how on earth, and I'm a competitive too, so, you know, failing wasn't an option. How on earth am I going to make this work? And so the only thing I could think of doing was asking the team members that I'd been assigned, who were the ones having to stand on these wooden skis, to, like, try out the equipment and just tell me what they were experiencing to decide who was going to stand at the front, who was going to stand at the back, who was better in the middle, and just provide me with their input because they were the ones having the experience, not me. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then once they'd done that and we'd worked out an order and kind of a, a starting point, I gave them the autonomy, which it, I felt at the time was me passing the buck. I gave them the autonomy for navigating around the course. So I would I would provide support and, and assistance where I felt I could assist. But I said to them, you're the people having to navigate this. You know what it feels like. I think you you need to do what you feel best. Um, and they did. And we won. <laughs> um, Fabulous. And what I noticed was that the other leaders who were more extroverted, they had moved into directing and instructing because that really was the perception we were given that the person who's leading the team, you know, you're the people getting them, getting the team around, around the course. Um, but actually that's where I learned that leadership isn't about giving the instruction and the direction as much as empowering the people within that team to bring their best selves to whatever the role is and collaboratively, collaboratively, I can't even say collaboratively, <laughs> achieve um, the best possible outcome. Um, mm. And from that moment onwards, I started gradually, it was a slow process, it wasn't, you know, by any means instant. I started to, to believe more and trust more in myself and started to look within and think about, okay, so what is it that I am good at? What are my strengths and how, how can I leverage those? You talk then about um, understanding your strengths and leveraging those. So what are the key things that you took away that then catalyzed the rest of your journey through work? So I think that moment was a pivotal moment for me because it gave me the realization that there's not one way to achieve an outcome and that the way that is often perceived as the best way to be isn't necessarily the best way to be. Um, mm-hmm. And that I had capabilities. And I did actually, I didn't just win the task. I did get selected at that assessment center to go through and um, and, and, and join the company as a, as a potential leader of the future. That was, that was the point in the management traineeship. Um, and, and yes, that gave me the ability to just kind of step back and think, okay, you know, my experiences have been that those who succeed are people who think and behave differently to me. But actually, in this example, I succeeded by being me. <laughs> okay, it might have been not intentional, as we've talked about, but it was me. Um, and so what do I bring? And, you know, I've, I've always performed very well, both act- academically and in my role, but I haven't had the recognition. So what can I do to change that? And so gradually I started identifying my strengths, clarifying what I wanted from my career, because also I fell into teaching and mm. most of my subsequent roles hadn't been an active choice. They'd been a, a product of circumstance. And so I started thinking about what I actually wanted to do and what aligned with me, because something else that I found was the nine to five doesn't work for me. And it doesn't work for me partly on an energy basis as an introvert, because Mm -hmm. in most organizations, especially pre-pandemic, nine to five meant in an open office environment, which for me is incredibly overstimulating. I can't concentrate. It doesn't enable me to do my best work. And 
engaging in quite frequent meetings, you know, and, and conversations with colleagues, that kind of thing. That for me was depleting. Um, and it did have an impact on my on my well-being and my physical and mental health. But also I do have mental health challenges. I suffer from very severe anxiety. And when I'm in full-time employment, it burns me out. Um, and so, so really reaching within and thinking about what do I want from my career? What do I want that to look like? What's, what's going to enable me to achieve what I want to achieve, but in a way that doesn't deplete me? Um, that was was really important for me. So it was less about kind of um, navigating the system as it is and more about finding my own way. And so from 2012, so for a decade now, from that point onwards, I went freelance. Um, and I actually have been, up until this year, when, I, when as I mentioned, I, I launched my own business, I've been working part-time for a full-time income so I can give my all on the days that I'm working and then have that balance so that I'm preserving my energy and able to show up as my best self at work. Thank you for sharing that, Sam. If I may, I'd like to pick up the the messaging, I guess, around being highly anxious because I think most people would say when they meet you, you have clearly managed that well, you're very self-aware because that's not visible. And I, I think that's a really important message for everything that's going on in the world right now is that we often don't know what's going on in people's lives. You just see people for a short period of time. So how, how do you manage your time around that? How do you make sure that you're able to show up as your best self, but manage your own health as well? It's a good question, and, and I do agree. This is this is an important conversation, especially in the current climate. So as I mentioned, I realised that for me to be able to have impact, but also look after my own health, I had to work part-time, not full-time. Mm. Um, and I mentioned the full-time income. One of the benefits of being freelance or a contractor is your day rate is significantly higher than it would be as an employee. But of course, you don't then get the the um, benefits and you know um, sickness, yeah. absence, everything. However, for me, working that way gave me much more freedom and autonomy over my time. So, um, for example, uh, when I was on the Google project for I'm Remarkable, I was working three days a week. Now, notionally, I could have done other things. I could have built what I'm building now on those two other days. But in terms of my well-being and my mental and physical health, I couldn't because that was such an intensive role and time mm -hmm. that on those two days, I needed to focus on self-care, um, you know, things like going out for walks and um, doing things that would help preserve my mental health and just resting um, and, and doing other like little bits of admin, you know, and I have done odd ad hoc facilitation and coaching here and there, but not every single week, not on a consistent basis. And I've had to do that because when there was a time where I wasn't doing that, I, I ceased the ability to function and I became very, very physically as well as mentally unwell. Mm. Um, and I think this is something that people don't often talk about. And you mentioned what people can visibly see. The first year that I moved into delivering training on a freelance basis, so when I left the university, I got made redundant. That's when I started my freelance career. And I was initially facilitating training to teachers, professional development training. 
I got so anxious. And in terms of like performance anxiety, even though all of my feedback was consistently outstanding, it didn't make logical sense, but this is my anxiety brain. I would get so anxious before any day where I was facilitating training that I would not sleep at all the night before, like not, not, not even 30 minutes. And I would be physically sick the morning of. And then once that happened, I would get a huge amount of adrenaline, get through the day. And yet the feedback was consistently, this person has amazing energy. She made it so engaging. And they wouldn't see what was going on behind the scenes, which is what you just touched upon. And then with I'm Remarkable, which I know you've experienced, Mm. you know, my, my role there and a lot of people you know saw me facilitate in that role um I had events going on in my personal life when I was on that project during the COVID period of time but not necessarily directly related to COVID itself mm. that meant that there was a period of time where I couldn't leave my bed I wasn't eating um I wasn't functioning aside from those two hours to to facilitate a train the trainer workshop and for those two hours I could channel my energy into giving my participants the best possible experience and then I'd have to go back to bed (laughs) because Mm -hmm. I couldn't function and that that happened over the space of a whole month so you're right the people don't see really what's going on for others And I think it's nice for us all, myself included, to remind ourselves from time to time that that is the case. And um, we often as humans are quick to make assumptions about others. And this goes for introverts in the workplace as well. Often assumptions are that they're quiet because, you know, they're rude or aloof, you know, things like that. (laughs) And then they're not at all. It couldn't be further from the truth. They're not accurate assumptions and reminding ourselves that we don't really know what's going on unless we ask or that person chooses to divulge is important. Um, and, the, and the main thing is to always operate from a place of, of positivity and kindness. Mm, thank you so much, Sam. And I do think too, on the other side of that, um, obviously this, this takes us off onto a track of a slightly different conversation is that the people that don't want to work nine to five, they may not have, mental health challenges they may just want to do that too and I've seen a huge assumption that people have burnt out or don't want to do five days a week nine to five in an office because they've got mental health challenges that's another assumption which is needs to be broken too and taking people as they are and who they are as an individual is the key picking up on the nine to five point Sam how do you see the future going, you know, going forward where there's a pull still from organizations to revert back to nine to five in the office. Mm-hmm. How how do you think that could shift? Because there are more and more people exiting the workforce, which I think is a terrible shame in so many respects. Because not everyone can start a freelance role. Not everyone, you know, wants to start their own business. But how, how do we how do we make that environment more comfortable for people where people can really excel and thrive at work? I mean, really, because of the current circumstances, now is the time for all organizations to really reevaluate things like their culture, their values, and their expectations of their workforce. 
because as you've touched upon, people are leaving at levels that are unprecedented and organizations who don't acknowledge that the way to get the best out of your people is to really understand firstly who your people are, because even if you're looking at groups of individuals within organizations, and we can take introverts as an example, they're not a monolith. Even mm. within that group, people are going to be different. They're going to have different needs. But all the research very strongly confirms that when employees feel valued and when they're recognized as individuals and understood and they, they're given autonomy of choice, productivity and profits and you know all sorts of measurables um increase beyond measure so it's it's there's a business case and there shouldn't need to be a business case i just want to caveat that Mm. but there is a business case for really seriously taking a look within inside an organization and thinking about what do i know about my workforce what do i really know about my workforce how can i ensure that as individuals I am enabling them to truly bring their best self to work. And that often means enabling them to be their authentic selves at work, which is a term that's used quite frequently now, Mm. but it tends to be words rather than actions. And people don't really feel that they can be their authentic selves. And hybrid models, for example, um, really do have a positive impact on on the workforce because then employees have a choice over whether they're working from home some of the time or, you know, the majority of the time. And, you know, they, they've got that contact in the office and COVID proved that a hybrid or work for work from home model can work for most mm. organizations. Mm. Um, and in addition to that, from an introvert's perspective, most offices are open plan, but providing a quiet space where employees can choose to work from when they feel that they need a quiet space can make a tremendous impact on their well-being at work and normalizing taking a lunch break and not having to spend that lunch break with your colleagues (laughs) little things like that have a huge impact Yes, it's nothing like just going for a walk on your own for a bit of space. (laughs) Often the pressure is if you don't spend your lunch with your colleagues, you're being antisocial. But it's not being antisocial, it's preserving energy. (laughs) And it's important. As you were talking, what I heard was that uh, you you showed up with intention and understanding yourself was the key to that your introversion your high anxiety but you showed up with intention and you found your voice in your space Mm. would you say that's true absolutely yeah it was the process of learning to understand myself really identifying my needs my values my goals um that helped me to step into my authentic self and therefore make choices as I moved forward in my career that aligned with Mm. what was authentic for me and, you know, enabled me to get my needs fulfilled as we've talked about. Um, And then in doing that, I also had to learn other things like how to set boundaries because that was something I did not excel at (laughs) and Mm. how, how to, to voice my needs and my preferences so that I could 
I could ensure that I was always aligned with both myself and the direction in which I wanted to go. Um, and that's, that's really what I meant when I mentioned authentic confidence at the start. It's that understanding of myself and the value I bring, how to communicate that to others and how to ensure that I can put boundaries in place so that I'm meeting my own needs, but also then able to give to others um, in a meaningful way. They're, they're really great tips. So how would people start? So people listening to this episode, how would they start in that? What could they do for themselves? I mean, the first, the first thing and the most important thing, I think, and this can be very difficult, is to really create time and space to do that work because it is deep work you know it's it's it can look different for different people for example i know for many journaling is a very um a very powerful process to do this work but for me that doesn't work so for me i do my best thinking walking in nature or even doing something perhaps a little bit more mundane like taking a shower uh but i, I create time and space to just reflect and get in tune with my body so that when I'm making a choice or confronted with a decision, I can really pay attention to what my gut is telling me. I get a lightness inside when it's something that's aligned and I get a heaviness when it's not. And, you know, it can be easy not to be that in tune with your body, especially in a society where everyone's very busy and, you know, we're, we're quite, stimulated in a lot of ways mm -hmm. but that stillness um and that getting in tune with yourself is the starting point um and then really thinking about the labels that you've either given to yourself or that others have given to you over the course of your life i i spent some time consciously removing labels that actually no longer applied to me that either i'd given to myself or others had given to me but you kind of hold on to them because they become your identity and you don't really question it. Um, and I had to do other work as well because of my mental health and because, as I mentioned, I'm also shy and socially anxious as well as introverted. Um, and, and around that, really letting go of shame because I think, again, as humans, we often feel a sense of shame about aspects of ourselves that we feel don't align with what society tells us we should be like. Mm -hmm. um, and it's letting go of that shame and accepting yourself. And once you've accepted yourself, it becomes easier to be kinder to yourself and then move into the boundary setting. Because I know that setting boundaries is something that a lot of introverts struggle with. It's not just a me thing. It's actually a very common um, thing that introverts experience. I tend to spin it as set an agreement with yourself. Love that. Yeah, um, because boundaries feel very fixed and firm, like you, you know, almost like putting up a fence. That's my metaphor around it. You know, you're fencing yeah. yourself in. Actually, if you have an agreement, or you know, no, two or three agreements, how you're going to show up, how you're going to be, how you're going to live your life, then it feels like you're accepting that and acknowledging that and taking almost like taking that control. You have that. You're setting that standard for yourself. Um, I love that, and and also then. If you link to that agreement, just making small promises to yourself could be something mm -hmm. as simple as when I wake up, I'm going to drink a glass of water, just one glass of water when I wake yeah. up every day. 
it's by keeping those promises that your confidence in yourself grows. Yeah, keeping it simple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I love those. Really love those. What's your big dream for the future? I'm on a mission to change that workplace bias towards extroversion, Juliet. So I, I as we move into a new year, I'm really um, taking quite significant action to work with DEI departments in organizations to improve that intersectional equity and inclusion and to make those small changes that can have significant impact within an organization because mm-hmm. currently the playing field isn't level um, and I want to help level it. Uh, and then alongside that, as I mentioned, you know, I'm an advocate for introverts like myself. So really helping fellow introverts to develop authentic confidence, uh, which is the process that, that I've been doing, um, because I, I strongly believe that to achieve success, introverts do not need to be more like extroverts or pretend to be more like extroverts. They just need to enhance, not enhance, to um, understand how to value and communicate who they already are. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Sam. That was a wonderful conversation. And there's more we can talk about, but maybe that's for another episode. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) That was really lovely. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. I love to talk and work with people and businesses who want to achieve more. I challenge their thoughts to create possibility. Anyone can be part of the conversation. Leave me a message, ask a question and connect with me. 